Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, we are talking with prolific screenwriter and showrunner and amazing human, one of my favorite people in the whole world, Dana Stevens. Thank you, Meg. (laughs) In addition to writing credits on seven films, Dana created two shows for TV, ABC's What About Brian, produced by J.J. Abrams and Reckless on CBS. Dana wrote one of 2022's most exciting movies, one of my absolute favorites, The Woman King, starring EGOT winner Viola Davis, who also produced. And for her work on the script, Dana is nominated for multiple industry awards, including an Australian Academy Award. And the film has been named a top 10 film of the year from the National Board of Review. Dana, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much. I'm so glad to be on and to talk with you guys. I agree with Meg. I thought your movie, The Woman King, was extraordinary across the board. Mm-hmm. I uh, I was physically affected by it on a lot of fronts. And uh, I just, uh, the first act mostly, I know we have to get into the show, but like for the first act, I was like on the verge of tears the whole time, just seeing these women existing in their bodies and in Mm. the space without apology, without having to defend it, just sort of being powerful warrior women. I I was just so moved by how beautifully it was portrayed and written and acted. I I really, yeah, I was, I'm, I'm out of words right now, but I just want to thank you (laughs) for this film. Thank you. The the subtlety of the, boundaries and barriers that you broke just as just for it existing and the way you approached it was it's extraordinary and i i really all of our listeners need to watch it um and it's coming out on netflix this weekend i'm going to put it right up front of the show great so please uh, watch it guys everything you're saying is just so such bomb for my heart i mean i really do feel that it's a groundbreaking movie and and everyone that worked on this movie had so much love for it. It was such a family. And all that feeling is 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 coming across to the viewer, you know, just the just the um the telling of a of a story and the creation of a world that is female-centric and uh unapologetically so and powerful and uh, beautiful is uh has been an experience that I'll never forget. Oh, yes. spectacular. Congratulations well, to everyone that worked on the film. And yes, I, I mean, especially the first act blew me away. I love the whole movie, but it was just so new for me <laughs> to be yeah. experiencing a movie like that in it like that. So the first act, you know, hit me hard, but I love the whole thing. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. Congratulations to all. Now, before we get into it, because we're going to totally get into it, we're going to we are going to do our adventures in screenwriting and uh, what our week was like. And Dana has agreed to do it with us. So, Lorian. <laughs> Why don't you start us off? Uh, How was your week? It was good. I'm going to talk about something today that feels very dangerous for me to talk about um, because it's about money and looking for work (laughs) and being in a place in your career where people make assumptions about you. Um, And so uh, 
I am in this place where I'm in development on quite a few projects, some with producers, some on my own, I'm writing spec scripts. But the thing about development and spec scripts is that it pays zero, zero dollars. So I am, you know, a great writer. I'm a great show, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> right. But um, I'm not, I'm not making a lot of money right now because all of my work is in development. And so I sort of put out, a, this is what feels dangerous, right? Admitting that I'm in a place where I'm like, hi, I need work too, right? Uh, so I sort of pinged a lot of people I know, like, hey, does anyone have any work for me? You know, which also feels very vulnerable and scary. And um, I got a ton of responses. But one of the wow. consistent responses I got was, uh, yeah, I have things going on, but I was too embarrassed to come to you because I didn't feel like it paid enough money. And I'm like, hey, work begets work. I want to make a living as a writer. And me writing this thing for you for maybe not as much money as I got paid for something else gets me in front of somebody who's going to read that script, gets me working with people I haven't worked with before, gets me writing something new, gets me challenged in a way. And so that's where I am right now. This feels so vulnerable and scary to talk about on the show because I know we have such a big audience, but like I... I and I'm so glad I did it because I've had the most amazing conversations with people who introduced me to other people this week with friends. I have a friend who is producing a feature actually that I have that's like, I have all these projects I'd love you to work on, but I just thought you'd be too busy to do it. And it's like, so my advice is to people who have projects, offer them to your writer friends, no matter where you think they are in your career, in their career, because you never know. Right. They might be sitting there too ashamed or embarrassed to ask for work because it it sort of makes it seem like you're not as successful as you're supposed to be. So ask. The worst that can happen is they say no or I'm busy or I can't take on something like that. It's out of my price range right now. But you might be surprised of who you get to work with. And I say this like friends, not just don't don't like don't reach out to Meg and ask her to work on something. But like, <laughs> I mean, unless you're a friend of Meg, whatever. But, like, but it also so, speaks to the writers that they're every writer. I don't care how high up in the chain you go. There are dry spells where uh, it, maybe you even have something that supposedly is going to go. But six months later, business affairs hasn't even responded. I literally had a conversation with my lawyer, my lawyer this week. He sent notes in to business affairs a year ago. Oh, so I'm just saying you don't know. I mean, as a writer that you're going to have these spells where you do have to reach out to people and let them know what's going on. Um, so I it's both sides, both sides. And I really do appreciate, Lauren, you talking about this. And I hope that you feel comfortable with us sharing it because I think it's important. You know, I got like three jobs out of this, you know, not like, oh, my God, I can afford to move to Italy now and retire. Um but also, I think just putting it out there, I also got hit up from some other places who I don't know who are like, hey, do you want to do this thing? Like the universe sort of was like, oh, you're available. All right, here you go. Yeah. You know, and make it's a space lot of small, and it'll get filled up. Yeah. It's a lot of small things, but like I get to make a living as a writer. I'm writing for work, you know, so that feels good. Anyway, sorry, Dana, go ahead. I just wanted to say that we writers are, we don't have the personality of selling ourselves very, very well. And it, I have had just the same experience where I decide to put something out there and I'm so surprised to find out that people have a perception of me or, or, you know, so writers really need to uh, know that it's okay to call up the producers that, you know, 
that you have a good relationship with and say, hey, what's going on? I want to work. Dana, how was your week? My week was very interesting. I'm going to bring up uh, somebody asked me for a script that I wrote in 2001. And it turns out it is a script I developed with Meg when she was working for Jodie Foster. Oh my gosh, what? It's called 100 Years On. It's this oh my story gosh. about a woman rancher in Montana. And oh. I read, but Meg, I have to compliment you because I read the old script, the pre-Meg Lefauve script and the post-Meg Lefauve script, which, which is so much better. And I actually... I was surprised at myself. You know, I was reading this new draft and it was funny and the characters were so vivid. And I thought, this is Meg's doing. No, no, <laughs> it's your doing. No, but no. I mean, you you knew how to, to work from a character perspective. And sometimes in that era of my writing, I didn't, didn't do it that well. And, and I know that you are the master of working from character and, and I really achieved it in this old script. So I thought I would bring that up. You never I know. I love that script. I'm so happy to hear it might come back alive. That makes me so happy. If I can help at all, let me know. Because okay. meaning if you need, I don't know, rights issues or whatever can happen, um, I, you know, I'm I, I'm just so excited about that. That's yeah. So hey, if I can help at all, I happen to be available. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, all right. My my week was super, uh, you know, you know, same old going as fast as I can, getting stuff in my brain's frying. Um, I actually got to take the weekend off this weekend for a change. And uh, two days is not enough rest uh, when your brain fried. Uh, but I'm turning it around very quickly. So, of course, what I have to do when my brain starts frying and I'm so tired is I, I have to do things between sequences or scenes, as they're called in live action, because my brain just I, I can't explain it. Like it just starts to go like it can't. So I just need to take a break. So what I did this week, instead of going on Facebook is I went, I finally got on chat GPT. That's what it's called. Right. Cause it, I've tried and I haven't been able to get on cause it's so busy. Now here's what I thought was interesting. I mean, I did what you all have done. I had it write a poem in the vein of Mary Oliver about a woman <laughs> who is tired. And of course it was all about going into nature when you're tired. And it was a pretty good poem. I have to say, and then I had it write a recommendation letter. I had to do all this stuff and some of it was good and some of it was bad. But what I want to point out and talk about is I had it, I just started asking it to write movie scenes and I put all different kinds of stuff in. I put all different kinds of genres. I just wanted to see what it could do. So I put in different genres. I put in different, like there's two people in a room. It's horror and period horror. I just did all different things. And in every single one, the woman character was needy she was tearful and she was waiting for the guy to do something. And it was so mind blowing to me that I was like, oh, my God, it's repeating the same patterns that we already are stuck in with female characters because that's all it knows. It's mm -hmm. what's already existed. And then I said, OK, OK, wait, I want a strong woman talking to a guy, but it's still a romance. Right. Because I think women can be both. Right. We can. Be in a romantic love relationship and be strong. It couldn't do it because oh. it kept it kept having her tell the guy, "I'm too strong for you." Basically, I can't be in a love relationship. It couldn't do both, and I was like, "Oh my god, 
this is this pattern of behavior for female characters is embedded in this GPTPT thing, whatever the heck it's called, which means I kind of at first I was horrified and scared as shit. And then I was like, no, no, no. This is why you have to have writers, because writers as artists, we are disruptors. Mm. We disrupt patterns. I'm not saying you can't be inspired by an archetype. You can't start with some thriller pattern, of course, because it's embedded in all of us and there's a reason. But your job as an artist is to elevate that, to put your own personal lava in there, to disrupt the pattern, to show a woman can both be in love and strong and not waiting for some guy. It was crazy. So I, I actually took it as a good sign that we still have to be originators we still have to be the disruptors. We still have to tell our truth of our human experience because this thing is just working on old patriarchal bullshit patterns that have been out there that we've been working against or are disrupting already. So I don't know. That it was crazy. It was crazy. That's amazing. You know, it it works from the cliches that it, I guess knows from watching, you know, having scripts put in or watching movies or something that that's yeah, very... and it's just picking up those same embedded, unconscious patterns of what females' characters are. I couldn't believe it. In every one, she was crying about some guy and sitting <laughs> at a table or waiting by a window. It was crazy. I had it write character descriptions. Like I would give it the exact same adjectives and then give it a woman's name or a man's name. And the verb, it was the same. Like it was like spunky rather than brave. Or, you know, it had all these like uh, derivative sort of adjectives for describing a female character with like the same things I was trying to get at. It was really yeah, interesting. It's just amazing. So I'm not worried. We are, we are needed more than ever. But let's get on now to talking to Dana. So exciting. <laughs> okay, Dana, we always start with, um, because our audience is a lot of emerging writers. There's also a lot of pro writers on here, but um, there's always a, a great interest in how you got into the business. And now you've been on both sides, both features and television. So um, it might be a complex answer, but whatever you think would be, um, you know, what's you, how'd you get into this business? Uh, okay. Well, I wanted to be an actor like so many people who get involved in this business. I went to UCLA and at the time that I was there as an undergrad, uh, they required you to take playwriting. And uh, there were a couple really influential things. One was a, a professor of mine, Gary Gardner, who um, really encouraged me as a writer. We, what we did in our first writing class is write one acts. And um, the, uh, my one act ended up getting produced. And then uh, later on in an advanced writing class, I wrote a full length play that also got produced a couple of times at UCLA. And so I was very um, satisfied. It was a very satisfying experience to work as a writer with actors and not just be the actor. And also a big influence for me was during my college years, I had a working writer boyfriend who was Ed Solomon who wrote Men in Black and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. In his final quarter at UCLA in his senior year, when I was a freshman, he got a job on Laverne and Shirley and just stopped going to class. He didn't go to, it was like the, the nightmare where you didn't go to class and, oh my God, I'm having a final. That's how he lived. Um, but, you know, seeing him 
work made me start to think, you know, this is a, an actual job that you can do. And um, I, you know, pursued it. I pursued acting and writing kind of together. But uh, uh, the key the key moment for me happened when uh, I got a a pilot and it starred Jack Hay. And uh, it was kind of in the vein of working girl. And I was supposed to be the Joan Cusack type character. And I wore a wig and uh, it was called without a clue. <laughs> and I got paid a good chunk of money. And I, I just started thinking, is this what I really want? You know? And I decided that before that money runs out, I am going to write a script that is going to sell. I had written a couple of scripts that had, I, I had an agent, I had one acting agent, totally different agency and a writing agent who was much more powerful. And I had a couple of scripts out there, but nothing was really happening. So I got this money and I wrote the script that turned out to be my first produced film, which was called Blink, which it was a, you know, woman in jeopardy thriller. And in those days, those were very, those were money, you know, all those Ashley Judd movies, it's really you know, good. I <laughs> So, you know, it just, um, it, it just, the doors opened for me as a writer, they closed for me as an actor. And I just never looked back. I still, I, I, I'm very happy that that's how it turned out. Hey everyone. So the new version of final draft, final draft 13 is out. And you know, the question's going around, is it worth it? Is it worth it to buy or upgrade? And our answer is yes. So I recently got notes on a pilot and I want to see how it works in my rewrite to move a couple of scenes. And usually what I do is, you know, cut and paste, uh, which works out sometimes, but mostly it means I lose text because I move so quickly. But the new version of Final Draft has this cool feature called Navigator 2.0, where you can actually just move scenes around right in your script. So without losing something, I can see what's working, what I'm missing, or what needs to be rewritten, or you know, if I have to lose the scene altogether. But it's really, really helpful. And what's most important to me about this is that I'm not losing anything. Woohoo! Yes. I am laying out a new project, and I want to card it. And I can now do that inside of Final Draft, and it's now a super easy way. You can take those cards and then make them into an outline with a simple drag and drop. So it's just a great way to see the larger story that you're writing and get down the details, track characters. I just love it. And for our emerging writers, a great new feature is Final Draft lets you set writing goals like page count or timed writing sprints, which is super cool. So uh, we think the new version is really worth uh, investing in. So you can head over to finaldraft.com slash products to get the new version with a discount code of ScreenFD for 25% off. You should check it out. That's ScreenFD. S-C-R-E-E-N-F-D. How did you know, like, what did, when you were like, I'm going to write a script that sells? What was the <laughs> process of that? Because... I think we all want to do that, right? Like I want to sit down, I want to write a script that sells. It, yeah. The industry is always changing, but at that time, what were you, what was your strategy? Well, the other two scripts that I had written uh, that were sort of out there in, in the biz, in the market, one was, had been optioned by Hollywood pictures and it was like a, it was like a rom-com, but not very good. It had all this complicated plotting and I kept getting notes and literally changing it completely. Like it became three utterly different films. So after that, I wrote this very um, 
hypersexual movie about a high school girl who has an affair with her teacher. And everybody really liked that, but it was just not that marketable, I guess, at the time. Um, and so uh, I really wanted to write a thriller. I just felt that if I wrote a thriller with a great female character who was interesting, who had an interesting dilemma, which in Blink is that she has just gotten her sight back and doesn't, her brain doesn't compute what she's seeing and she witnesses a murder. And, uh, you know, I just thought it was a, a high concept, you know, <laughs> and it, in those days, um, you know, uh, you know, the movie sold to New Line. It was it was produced at New Line. And there I, I do think, you know, unfortunately for kids that are, you know, young people that are coming up today. Um, I think in those days there was a lot more movies being made, a lot more mid-budget movies, a lot more content that you felt like you could, you know, break in. And so I was really looking for um, you know, a chance to break in and get a movie made and it and it worked out. Fantastic. All right. Let's talk about the woman King right up front because we're so excited. Yeah. Okay. So how did you get involved with it and what made you excited about this project? Well, uh, I had just finished a script, uh, an adaptation for Nicole Brown at TriStar that was about, uh, it's called the Nightingale and it is a pretty big book that is about a couple of sisters in France during world war II. And one is a freedom fighter like an underground freedom fighter and one is is not and thinks of herself as sort of the the loser sister but they both end up doing a lot of amazing things so after that was a really good experience nicole had sent me this lookbook of the woman king um maria bello who with whom i share a story credit had brought this idea to viola davis and kathy shulman the producer had gotten involved and they had just set it up at TriStar. They had a, a hard time setting it up, you know, and I think the success of Black Panther really finally, you know, opened up the opportunity to get this movie set up. And I was just, they also gave me a book uh, that was kind of a little bit dry historical book, but I was blown away by the fact that I'd never heard of this, even after knowing about Black Panther. And, uh, you know, now I know that those, those, women warriors in Black Panther are influenced by the real story of the Agoji. But um, the, the, the number one thing that excited me was working on a role that I knew Viola Davis would play. And I've always wanted to do that. I, I, I do think one of my strengths as a writer is that I know what actors want to do. I know what they need to, to get the emotion that they, that they need to get on screen. I'm very excited about that kind of work. And I've just always, I mean, literally gasped at her different performances, how transformational she is. When she was nominated for the help, I, it was it, the, the final, you know, ballots for the Academy were supposed to be in on, on President's Day weekend. And this was when we still had paper ballots. And I drove my ballot to the Academy because I wanted her to win so badly, you know, I just have always been a huge fan. So first of all, just to get a chance to meet with her and talk to her and to write a role that is traditionally reserved for a man, this kind of hero's journey, 
Lawrence of Arabia, you know, world building kind of story. I was, I, the, the research that I did on my own on YouTube, you know, cause I had to pitch on it and I was trying to come up with a pitch and, and my, my uh, concept for it and everything that I discovered, what did the oil warriors look like? You know, what, it, it just felt like game of Thrones almost, you know, like this really exciting, um, seductive and interesting world and about Africa and you've never seen it and about women being fighters. So I really wanted to do it. And um, so I came up with my pitch and it was, it was quite, it was quite different from the lookbook and some of the ideas that they had had. And luckily I, I won the day. Was the director attached at that point or was that after? No, she, there was no director attached. And how did that happen? How did you get to work with her? Well, I, I worked on the movie for a couple of years with, you know, developing it with the producers and with, with TriStar and Sony also got involved. And uh, then it came time to look for a director and Gina just, you know, I didn't get to be in the meetings where Gina came in and, you know, talked about her vision of the movie, but she was the perfect person. And, and in terms of my work with her, it was incredibly fruitful from, from the word go. We really were on the same page. We were collaborative uh, and we had known each other. I had actually met her at the Sundance Writers Lab when she was there for Love and Basketball. So I don't know. I just, I, th this is a movie, you know, sometimes you work on movies and they don't work and you're just pounding this square peg into a round hole and trying to, this movie felt like it was working from the time of the development when people would give notes, they, they, they were able to fold pretty seamlessly because nobody was trying to turn it into something else. They, we all saw it and Gina just added to the, the, the depth of the movie and had so many good ideas as a director. We had a, a listener ask um, how you work with theme in your scripts. Do you like to start with a theme and then start to develop it? Or do you let it reveal itself organically? Mm -hmm. Do you maybe have a theme that you see in all of your work? Um, I like to have a theme in mind, although I will say that in the actual writing, sometimes you can discover another theme that might even be better. But th this project came to me already with this idea that uh, Nawi and Naniska were mother and daughter. In, in the pitch that the pitch deck that they gave me, they knew they were mother and daughter um, and they were you know at odds with each other. But I felt like it was almost like a Greek myth, you know, like what if they didn't know they were mother and daughter? There, there was a key thing that we were interested in, which was talking about rape as a weapon of war for women. It is still going on right now to this day. And we felt that was really important to talk about. So um, the, the themes were already kind of really bubbling and working, which have to do with what does a woman give up? What is a woman asked to give up if she wants to pursue a powerful position? The interesting thing about Naniska and the idea of the woman king is she's not only just brute strength powerful, she is politically powerful. And I was very interested in making sure that that was part of the story. And I think that was a big, the two things that I helped helped me get the job in the pitch were, number one, I pitched the scene 
where the shark's tooth is in Nawi's scar, that, that this idea that they did not know that they were mother and daughter when they met. That was a big, I could tell in the room of the pitch, like, oh, you know, that they liked that. And then the other thing was I moved it about 70 years earlier and I wanted to have the story of Gezo, who was a real king, who was a young king, who was brought to the throne by a coup that the Agoji, you know, fought in for him. And I, I really wanted to have Viola's character, Naniska, have influence over the king and how, and, you know, the, the, the triangle of the wife and Viola and the king and how, how that political um, relationship and power bears out. I was really interested in that. I'm, I'm really glad you're talking about the mother-daughter. I didn't see that coming. Um, and it was really satisfying when it was revealed in the way that it was revealed. I really enjoyed how all of the female relationships were handled, especially the relationship between Viola Davis's character and the king's wife. Ah, <laughs> that 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 was about power and that there was such an opportunity there to sort of make it sort of sexualized in a way like you could have had scenes with her in the bedroom oh there were him. there were scenes like that <laughs> you know but I, but I appreciated that it that it didn't go there uh I'm sure if it if I'm sure if you had it it would have been brilliant but I <laughs> liked it being so rooted from Viola's perspective for her character I'm sorry Nar um Naniska, I can't what was her yeah. name again Naniska Naniska sorry apologies um but I really appreciated that relationship because I, I didn't, it could have been all about that easily, right? Two women vying for the attention of the king, vying for power, but it wasn't. That was like such a pushback story, powerful and important, but but not what the movie was about. It was about something much deeper and important about women. Yeah, I, I really, what one thing I loved about it though, was it, it like in good TV, it had such juicy B story, C story, you know, there was so much to work with in the world, you know? Um, so I, I, we all really were interested in these wives, but we definitely wanted them to be a B or C story. But when you look at the craft work, uh, the costumes, the hair and makeup, those wives are just so fabulous, you know? But it, it's uh, interesting what yeah. you say about the, because, you know, the movie was too long. So we had to cut some things. And there was a, a scene between Shante, the wife, and the king where she was very sexual and trying to convince him to her point of view. And there's also the scene with Viola and Shante in the, you know, in the, the queen's the quarters. And it basically came down to which one of those scenes do we keep? And, and everybody was like, we have to keep Naniska and Shante because that's what the movie's about, women and their relationships. So uh, you mentioned that you started off as an actress and so you really do understand what an actor needs. Can you talk a little bit about that for our writers who don't come from acting? I, I always suggest everybody at least take an acting class because you need to understand what these actors do need. But can you talk a little bit about that in terms of advice you have for writers or just the approach? Um, yeah, um, I, I would say, I mean, it's hard if you're not an actor, I think your advice about taking an acting class is great, but I find that, um, actors sometimes need a few extra words or they need less words, but they, they, it's a rhythm. It's a rhythm for them. Is the emotion going to come up? Is the word that they're saying or the image that they're 
being asked to uh, conjure with their words, is that going to hit something personal for them and something real? And I, I find that it's a, a wonderful challenge to, and, and it's sometimes for me, it's just a matter of, does it hit me that way? Is it personal enough, the image that I'm, I'm having in my mind that it will be personal for them? Um, but also it's a rhythm thing. And I, I remember when I was doing What About Brian, we had an actress who needed to be emotional in a scene and some, but I was fighting with someone on it. I don't know if it was another writer or a director, but I said, I can do, I will get her there, you know? And I knew it was because she didn't have enough words. She didn't have enough time to get to the place. And then we had our big table read and, you know, she, we got it, you know, it all happened for her. And it was such a, it, it is one of my, the most satisfying things to me as a writer. One thing I do often say to people, if they're writing and they, let's say they're thinking of Brad Pitt or somebody that they think they wish could play this part. Sometimes when I'm done with the script, I'll sit down with a cup of coffee and I'll say, I'm going to pretend I'm Brad Pitt and I'm reading this script. And I guarantee you, you'll be like, oh my God, Brad Pitt doesn't want to say that. He doesn't want to do that. You know? So those are some things that you can do if you're, if you don't have the sort of emotional, but I, I would say if you have the emotional connection as a writer, it's likely that your director, that your actors will have it too. And your readers. Yes. yes. I'm so curious about the action scenes in the movie. <laughs> um, there are so many things like the rope is never mentioned explicitly, but it is this theme sort of carried through with Nawi. And um, like, but how do you, how do you put an action scene like, like the ones you have in the movie on the page and how much comes up from a choreographer <laughs> Yeah, I that's much harder for me than writing a scene that will be emotional for the actors. Um, and that was a, a big challenge uh, for me in this. So I really, I, I actually asked some different writers who write action. And I remember one piece of advice I got was about this director, John Woo, who directs act, great action and how he works with this, with the environment. You know, he he gives the, action more texture by giving it a setting or a location that gives you more to work with and so <clears throat> the first bit well leaving behind the the very first one which is the you know they come up out of the grasses and they they rescue the women in the in the village that that one wasn't too hard for me or introducing the characters uh, that image of them in the grasses was always like oh that's the beginning i've got it you know um, but the big action sequence where they go to the to the um, British fort, which is no longer a British fort because they've abandoned it, I just kept looking for, you know, historical references of these forts and what they looked like and what was there to be used. And of course, you know, on it being on the water, there, there are things in that scene that didn't make it in. Like uh, the truth about Ouida is that there were sharks in the water. So the, the ships could not get very close to shore. They, and then they would have to row their cargo to shore uh, and, and people, you know, would, would be afraid of the sharks. So I, and when they jump in the water, I had this whole shark thing too, but that, that was too expensive to do, but, uh, you know, the, the rope, you, you bring up the rope and 
in it does get mentioned when when they give out their first weapon and they get a rope and Nawi says a rope is not a weapon and uh, uh you know i used it more from an emotional standpoint like when fumbe knows how to tie the rope and Nawi doesn't and then uh, working with gina gina was like we got to do rope 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 you know <laughs> she was like the rope has to be her weapon that becomes her thing and you know how do we uh, have her, you know, save the day with the rope. And so it, it's very uh, much a part of her character. And, and, and also in answer to your question about you, you can write as many action scenes as you want, but at the end of the day, when they're on set and they have a, uh, you know, they have a fight coordinator and they have a, um, a production designer, it's going to change. You know, the, the original script had the final battle being about a flood where they've, they've built these dams to grow the palm oil and they, they undo the dams and, and they flood the, the valley, but we couldn't afford that. So um, the production designer pointed out these, these, these termite mounds and how the, he, he pulled from the script, which already had the, the sort of um, prank that they do with the gunpowder and suggested that. And that's, that's how we rewrote it. And don't you Thank think, you though that in those action sequences a lot of time it's well it's of course characters shifting and changing in relationships but in terms of just from action it's kind of at least inspiring do you know what I mean like mm -hmm. even if they can't afford it it's going to change but a flood was probably inspiring it probably was emotional and inspiring and a director would love to do it right yeah. like Sometimes I think you've got to, you know, as a writer, think about that too. Like what would make a director drool to be able to shoot this, right? I, um, I think you're so absolutely right, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, the, I've, I've always said this, when you are a screenwriter, you, you are first writing to be read so that the, the studio will greenlight you, you know, or the director will want to do it. So you want to come up with cool things that, uh, maybe people haven't seen before, but also um, I, I do, I do want to mention, and this was something Gina was really worked hard on is um, that the, the action also has emotion in it. It has something that affects the relationship. Like in that very first castle action sequence, Nawi saves Naniska and Naniska is mad about it. So it, it moves the story forward. Yeah. Yeah. And, and changes that relationship, you know, which is, oh, I love that scene. Um, <laughs> what was your involvement uh, in production, like pre-production, productions, shooting? You talk about it was the flood, you changed it. Like, how, What was your involvement with all of that? Well, um, I was able to stay involved pretty far into it, but there was definitely a point where Gina is on location in South Africa and I'm not there. And she's having meetings every day with all the people and also the the actresses are actually training and it's like a, it's dance. I mean, these, they learned their fight sequences like choreography and a dance. And they, they worked on it the entire time, you know, from the, from before we started shooting all, all the way through during shooting. And it's incredible the work that they do. These, these actors that play the lead roles uh, and the other ones who play the other agoji roles, they they worked their asses off. And then they also learned dances because 
Gina really wanted to make the dance very prominent. And, you know, in my script, it was like they dance, you know, but she, she was really imagining those dances. So I would say that once we got actually into shooting, there would be times I was on set for a couple of weeks, but right when I got there, the Omicron story broke out of South Africa where we were shooting. So it kind of messed us up. And I was glad I was there because I was able to write and help with issues that came up. Um, and sometimes Gina would call me and say, hey, try this. Like she did give, she did tell me what was going on with the fire and why don't you try this? But she would also, if she felt confident that she could do it, she would just change something. You know, she would just write a, something to, to that needed to be added in. Yeah. Let's talk about TV too, because you have a great career in television. Um, which came first? So it's, features must have came first because Blink came first. How did you move over to television? And it seems like, at least from your resume and from what I can remember, you kind of went right into show running. Like, what was that like? How, how did that happen? Yeah, um, I I haven't worked in. T I've developed in TV these last few years, but I I have a lot of. Um, regret, you know, that I didn't stick with TV when I was sort of, you know, having good momentum. But what happened to me was I, I wrote movies. I love movies. I love the two hour. I'm very, I feel very much the rhythm of a two hour story. I, I, I know how it feels and when it needs to be over. And, but I, I got interested in doing TV um, because I wanted to have more control, you know, over the story. And I got involved in TV right before the explosion, you know, but what happened to me was both of my TV experiences. I, I was the showrunner, but I also had to have a co-showrunner, which now, if I ever get back on TV again, I won't have to do that. I'll be the showrunner. And that can be, it was okay having the co-showrunner, it's not optimum. And I, I ended up having three different ones, two on one show, one on another show. But I, but I really, re I liked, I would like to think, and I think these guys would agree with me that I respected them and they respected me. But um, what, what happened was I fell in love with TV. I absolutely loved it. The first time I did, got to do two seasons, but when it, when it went down, when it, when it was over, I realized I'm working 18 hours a day and I have this child, you know, that I'm trying to raise. And I just immediately went back to movies because I could be home more and I could um, get, still get the satisfaction of writing, but I could do it all on my own hours. And in TV, you can't do that. So then when I did TV again, John was about 13 and uh, it, it, we did 13 episodes and it was great. And I loved that. I loved that show too, but it didn't get picked up. And I just fell back into uh, doing movies. And that was the moment where maybe I really should have gone for it more in TV. And I just didn't realize how much TV would be so become so such a fertile ground for amazing work as it is today. You know, what's your advice for maybe feature writers or people who are coming up going over to show running or what was your insights about show running that you've taken away that you're going to bring to your next show? Well, I, I really believe in the room. I believe in the other writers. I believe in giving them the opportunity to do notes, to, to see if they can, 
because you have so much to do. You're in the editing room, you're on set. I mean, it was so fascinating. I, I remember the first time I walked on set and one of the actors was mad at me. I, I, I was just giggling, like, you're mad at me? You know, like, it, it was so weird, but I realized, well, I'm the boss. And and he's, you know, looks at me that way and he's mad, you know? So it was, it, it working in TV and being the showrunners like being a director on a movie. And so you have to rely on the other writers and you have to you have to build them up, you know, and believe in them. And so I think it's very important who you hire to be in the room. And, you know, some, you're going to get some right and you're going to get some wrong because that's the way it is. But my, my biggest advice would be, don't think you're going to do it all yourself. And that is actually advice that John Wells gave me um, when I was starting to do it. And it was good advice. I think there are, there are showrunners out there who just want to do it all themselves, but I, I like the room. You started your career as an actor. You've become a writer. You're a showrunner. You've worked in features in TV. You understand actors. When are you going to direct a feature? I mean, do you want to do that? I I just feel like it, it's time yes. to do that. I will watch your movie that you direct is I think what well, I'm saying. I actually have two projects right now. I, I took a rewrite on, on a book at MRC only on the condition that I would be the director. I'm sure Meg, you've done this too. So uh, I know they really want to make the movie. It's very commercial. It's from a big book, but it's also, you know, not it. It's, you know, rom-com, you know, which I, I'm not out there trying to, to, to make, uh, I, I felt that it was a good opportunity for me to enter the world of directing in an emotional rom-com. And I have had the best time writing it because I feel like I'm returning to my roots, like the things that I loved about writing, you know, as a, just a starting out baby writer. And then I, I also wrote a movie for myself to direct, which we're still out there trying to get funding for. And we have Dana Delaney attached um, to star in it. And there's a couple other big roles in it. So we're trying to put that together, but you guys, it's not that easy when you want to be a director. I, I look at a lot of, I mean, you know, forgive me, but a lot of men get this opportunity and their buddies give them the opportunity. You know, I, I have worked with many of the people who can give the green light. I've worked with them many times, but they are not giving me the green light. They're not saying, Hey, come over here and make this movie. It's frustrating. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's going to happen. Let's just all right now send out the <laughs> yes. vibes to the universe that we need to see Dana as a director. Um, yes. So in terms of just kind of broader craft or career questions, um, do you write multiple projects at, at a time or are you kind of a one focus uh, writer? I, I would prefer to be one focus, but it just isn't. I have to write think I, I, there was some moment in my career when I thought, hey, wait a minute, all these guys do lots of projects and, and I need to have lots of plates spinning, you know, because uh, you want the chance to be in production. I mean, that was always the biggest thing for me is it, it, I want to see the thing, you know, on screen. So uh, I I always have a few plates spinning and it's it's hard. It's not easy, but. I think that's the way you get stuff made. How do you keep track of it? 
like literally physically. So I have like a whiteboard in front of me. I have a notebook with tabs, right? <laughs> All my different projects. So I have, but I have my really like, with so, the... <laughs> yes, we have the same tab system, but then it's about going and opening that tab, right? Like I'm fairly manic with disorganization. Like how do you manage your time? You know, let's say you've got three projects going, you have different deadlines all over the place. What does your day look like? Well, sometimes I give like, I, I, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna work at least a few days on the one thing and get some momentum going, maybe even a couple of weeks, you know, just on that. Um, sometimes, especially if you're doing TV and features, um, one of the projects is more working and it's more relaxing to actually work on. So sometimes I'll work in the daytime on something and then I'm burnt out on it. And then in the night, I might just sit down and, and go, you know, I'm just going to look at this, this movie project that I'm also working on. I'm just going to kind of mess around with it. And then I might find that I can write a couple scenes, you know, at night as well. In terms of actual organization of, of actual research and material, I'm terrible at that. And I, I really get frustrated. That's where I wish I could have an assistant because I'm always having to go back and dig and find that thing that inspired me four months ago, you know. I fantasize oh about having an assistant, but then I get stressed out about having to download everything to them. <laughs> like everything you would have to tell them in order to keep track of. So then, you know, I, it's a fantasy to be stressed out about having an assistant. Let's just be clear. That is something I would like to be stressed out about. But yeah, yeah. Well, it's well, it makes me feel better to uh, know that you are also struggling with organization as successful as you are and as brilliant as you are. What advice, Dana, would you give to your younger self? Oh, my. Um, well, I would tell myself to be more confident and outgoing, um, to to believe in, in myself and believe that I um, am can direct just as well as, you know, many other people that are writers who moved into directing. I, I was married to a director and I thought that was his, you know, fiefdom. And so I, I very much, I give this advice to lots of writers and I would have given it to myself. Don't wait too long to direct if you think you want to do it. That doesn't mean that you're not going to just be a writer sometimes, um, you know, there are people who are just directors and not writers and vice versa, but I think it's worthwhile to try to do it at least once and see if you like it. And also just because you want to see your work to its ultimate fruition. Um, uh, so I, I think I would just, just give myself advice that would say, believe in yourself more, know that you can do it. And, and also put yourself out there. I think I was a little bit like, oh, I'm, I'm not really, I'm in the background here. You know, that, that's, that's how we writers often get treated, especially on movies. And I wish that I had been a little more outgoing. Great advice. And we got, and as writers, you got to put yourself out there on the page. You got to put yourself out there in the room. And then you have to believe if you do want to direct, you have to, like you said, believe that's possible. And, and, and women are, I think, discouraged um, in that vein. So I think it's wonderful to hear you talking about that. 
It has been so amazing to have you on the show, Dana. We have we always end with the same three questions. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> now they're super fun, super easy. Don't worry, uh, it's not a test. Um, so, what brings you the most joy when it comes to writing? What brings me the most joy is something that also brought me joy as an actor. is Is when you feel the moment and you and you feel like oh. I got it. I got it. This is working. And this is this emotional, you know, uh, climax in this, in this thing. Uh, it, there's just nothing better than that feeling when you feel that you've reached something deep in yourself, something deep in the material. Uh, so that brings me great joy. When I was working with Meg at Pixar, she used to call that the click. <laughs> That's awesome. Right? I love I, the click. She'd be like, she'd be like, when I feel the click happen, then I know that the the scene is working, the 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 act is working. Yeah. Oh, and I always oh really God, resonated I don't remember with that, that at all. You don't? You were always talking no. about the click. I'm going for the <laughs> click. It was like as much about structure as about like the emotional intense, like you really like got it, like you felt it. So like I, I don't know. I just thought I'd bring that back. Meg, you don't remember? Really? No, no. But you know, oh, my brain's dead right now. <laughs> it's so like, it stayed with me so much. I think about it. I'm like, do I have the click in the scene? Uh, so I get to ask the second question, which is what pisses you off about writing? I think honestly, it pisses me off that it's so hard. You know, it, it, it you know, I don't, some people say, <laughs> oh, I love writing and, and I do love writing, but it is hard and you are like wrestling and and I just think, God damn, you know, and I'm here by myself, you know, it's like, if you're, if you're directing, you've got a lot of people around you to bring you a sandwich and, and say, Hey, let's, well, let's talk about this. Let's try this. When you're writing, I mean, some people have a partner and maybe they bring them a sandwich, but I mean, it is, um, it is really hard to write to the satisfaction of yourself you know, and to not look at it the next day and go, oh, this sucks, fuck, you know, and then do it more, do it again, do it again, you know, it's hard. That is so true. Sometimes, yep. especially lately, I'm like, this scene is like wrestling a python. <laughs> it is squeezing me to death. It's going to swallow me. I don't, I cannot get it to work on all those levels with all the, I can't get the click. I can't get all of those <laughs> engines, things firing in this scene that everybody wants all this stuff. Yeah. Right. And it has to be super simple and only in five pages. Okay. Ready to go. <laughs> it's just like, it's like a Python. It is wrestling. And I, I have this dream, Dana, which I'm going to tell you in case you want to join me. <laughs> I, I have I, so many writers. I know uh, at all levels feel this way about the isolation and where can't someone bring me a sandwich or can I go to the water cooler and just complain about the Python with somebody? Yeah. Cause it's just, I like, I want to have this compound where it's just, everybody's writing in their rooms, but oh there's a God. water cooler and there's a table and there's an outside and there's a view Ooh, so that you up. can walk out and see a view. And <clears throat> we're just kind of trying to be together. That's why community is important. We say this all the time on the show and you know, okay, we can't have a compound. I do think for all the uh, emerging writers, pro writers, that this is important. It's part of the reason we do the show. All right, Jeff, ask the last question. I am, would love to sign up for that compound, by the way. I don't know. <laughs> it's so brilliant. Okay, we got four people. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dana, the last question we ask is if you could be remembered for one passage or scene that you've written, uh, what would that be and why? Oh. 
I, I'll, I'll have to say that it's just something current that, you know, I, I, I'm sure there are things that in um, other movies that I've written that I feel strongly about, but for me, the, the uh, moment in the woman King is when Izogi says to Nawi, you are powerful, more powerful than you even know. And I just, I don't have a daughter. I have a son, but I just, I feel like right now women need to hear this and I want to see them take their power. And so right now that feels like something that I would hope would, would live on. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> all of that everything that you just said I yeah. I belong to a Facebook group with lots of women in it and I posted please watch the woman king and I even time-coded the moment <laughs> where the uh the woman king and you know her her best friend are walking and someone shoots him and then she puts up her sword <laughs> and, up and the, the bullet sword. flings out of her hand and she just hands her the other sword <laughs> and I'm like I need a meme of this running like in a loop in the background just about like female power and walking into danger and facing it head on. And like, oh. your friend is there by your side. And one, you know? the other line, I forgot the final part of it. You are powerful more than you even know. Do not give your power away. That is the yes. final yes. part of it. Yes. And you know, yes. it's, it's, oh, yes. and that's to every human, yes. but especially women uh, don't give your power away. We do it. We are, we are enculturated to do it. We are enculturated to give our power away to service other people. And sometimes that is an incredible gift. Be you a mother, a great friend. We're not saying that is not a superpower to also do that, but holy smokes, don't do it to yep. get identity. Don't do it to get some passive aggressive power. Oh, I, Dan, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, yes. I just am so excited about it. I totally agree. I Brilliant. totally agree. Well, Dana, thank, thank you so much thank for you. being on thank the show. You. This was thank really you. Fun. Everybody watch The Woman King on Netflix. Oh, so good. Netflix thank dropping you. this weekend. All right. It's going to be a treat. Take care, guys. Great talking to you about the work. Thank you. Thank you so thank much. You, Dana. Thank you, Dana. Thanks so much. Thanks so much to Dana for joining us on today's show. The Woman King is currently streaming on Netflix um, and it's continuing to get nominated for awards, including a top 10 film of the year award from the National Board of Review. Uh, before we wrap up a few announcements, we had two amazing Patreon workshops last month that you can access now by joining our Patreon. People especially loved our mock writers room where we created a brand new episode of Shit's Creek. Well, I shouldn't say we, I should say Lorian. Uh, and the crew on the Patreon. And uh, yeah, it was really fun. Uh, Sean and David. Shout out to Sean and David who showed up to help us run that room. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today. And remember, you are not alone and keep writing. Thanks for tuning in to The Screenwriting Life. We love our community and we want to get to know you even better. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash thescreenwritinglife or email us at thescreenwritinglife at gmail.com to have your question considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also, we'd love for you to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if we don't read your review on air, trust me, we have read it, and not only does it mean the world to us, but it helps other people find the show. We've always been driven by mission and mentorship, and reviewing our show helps expand that mission. And of course, until next Sunday, happy writing.